0: God's word to us, let me pray. To be trusting in you, to be resting in Christ. God, may the gospel be clear as Bob speaks. God, and may you be honored and glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Matt. And good morning, friends. Nice to see you once again. I told you I'd be back, and I kept my promise. I was here two weeks ago, and uh, thank you for having me back again. My wife, Judy, is here with me this morning. We have a special anniversary this weekend. We're celebrating our 30th anniversary, which doesn't sound like a long time for people of our uh, age category, but I think I mentioned before, we were both widowed in our 40s, and so we started over again, and it's kind of like that game Sorry. Have you ever played that, you know, where somebody knocks you and you go back to the beginning? Well, that's kind of what happened. But uh, now we've reached. Uh, well, I'm not sorry, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't, didn't come out quite like I intended it to. But it was like the game where you have to start over again, anyway. So uh, if we ever make it to our 50th, I'll be 98. So I don't know whether that'll ever happen or, or not. But uh, thank you for having me back again. Matt and I were. Kind of joking before the service, I think Pastor Nate had told him that he ought to have a sermon ready just in case some of us guest preachers didn't show up. Because if that would happen, then you need to have somebody preaching. And I remember hearing about a young pastor who, uh, like Nate, was an associate and wasn't preaching every week. But the lead pastor called very early one Sunday morning and said, to his associate his, his voice is very uh, raspy over the phone he said i'm too sick to come you you're, you're going to have to preach today and this was just hours before the service began and so this young associate pastor uh, scrambled and put together the best he could a message that that he felt was uh, you know the, the best he could do at the spur of the moment and uh, he stood up before his congregation that morning and apologized and he said uh, you know, I didn't know until just a few hours ago I was going to be preaching today. He said, I sort of feel like a, a cardboard that you put in a, a window when it's been broken out. Uh, you know, you put it in there temporarily just to keep keep the weather out. And uh, so he said, I think that's how I'm feeling today. I'm like that cardboard in, in the window. And after the service, one dear saint met him at the door, a little lady, and she said, oh, uh, Pastor, what, whatever his name was, She said, You don't have to feel like that piece of cardboard. She said, I think you're a real pain. (laughs) (laughs) So just be be on your guard, Matt, in case you have to be a pain sometime this summer. I'm thinking of uh, uh, your pastor Nate as he takes this time of sabbatical, trusting the Lord will give him a good time of refreshment, and that when he comes back to you at the end of his time away, that he'll be energized and retooled, ready to take another time of ministry among you. I'm wondering if you ever had the experience of being excited about something, enthusiastic about it, some project that you wanted to accomplish, some goal that you had in mind, and you were so pumped about it, and you were really working on it, and it seemed like it was coming together, and then something came up that just sort of Dash those plans all together and, uh, and uh, put, a, put a damper on all of your enthusiasm. You ever had that experience? Sometimes, you know, like if you're a student, you've, you've had this goal in mind. You want to get an A in this class. And you're on track to do it, and you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to achieve it. And I'm excited about getting that A at the end of this course. And then you come to the midterm and you, you, you blow it royally, you know. You have, and it really dashes your hopes of ever having that A that you expected you might get. Your enthusiasm is just sort of dampened. Or maybe you've had a, a plan in mind to plan a, a great vacation for you or for your family and you've saved a lot of, of your uh, savings and you put it all away and you're thinking and planning and looking forward to that time and then something comes up like household repairs. Your furnace goes out or your car is in need of repair and all of those funds that you saved are, are depleted and your enthusiasm for your vacation just sort of goes down the drain. Or maybe you've had the experience of starting a new ministry, being involved in a new work in a church, and you're excited about it, you're working with kids or you're working with teens or some other group in the church, and it seems like things are really gonna go well, and you you have enthusiasm and energy for that, you've got the drive to move ahead in ministry, and then somebody comes up with some criticisms and you don't hear words of appreciation, And it seems like over a period of time, some of these things weigh on you so badly that you lose your energy and your enthusiasm for what you started out to do. Ever had any of those experiences? Have you ever been enthusiastic about something, and then you lost your enthusiasm because something came in and just sort of blew it all apart? Well, David had that experience. We're going to read about it in the chapter that we're going to look at and I'd like you to open your Bible if you have it with you, I hope you do, to the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. And there we're going to read about David who had a great deal of enthusiasm for something that he really wanted to accomplish, something that he desired as much as anything in the course of his young life. And then something occurred that sort of took the wind out of his sails and caused him to stop what he was doing and and not want to go back to it at all second samuel chapter 6 in your bible it, beginning those opening words it says david gathered all the chosen men of israel thirty thousand, and david arose and went with all the people who were with him from baal judah to bring up from there the ark of god which is called by the name of the lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim and they carry the ark of god on a new cart brought out of it, and brought out of it of the house of Abinadab, which was over the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. Here's the situation in David's life. Just a little background, he was 30 years of age at this time. He had, uh, of course, been uh, really chased by King Saul, who had a love-hate relationship with him for all that time, and after Saul's death and after uh, David was acclaimed king of the lower tribes of Judah, and uh, things were beginning to progress, De- Saul's son ish was was assassinated, and the northern tribes of Israel acclaimed David their king, so David was now king. 30 years of age, he was king over all the 12 tribes, of Israel. Seems like things were coming together. He went and captured the Jebusite city of Jerusalem and made it his home, made it his his location. He had every intention of making it the capital. Of course it had been from that time forward for many, many centuries. But David had this one desire in his heart. He wanted to get the Ark of the Covenant and you remember that Ark had had been long standing in Israel. He wanted to take that ark, which had been for over 20 years in, in the place uh, where we re- read the house of Abinadab. It had been placed there after it had been captured by the Philistines some years before. And there had it rested for that time. David said, if I'm going to have a capital of the, all of the tribes, if this is going to be our place of worship, the center for all the nation, I want to have the ark of the covenant there. And he was enthusiastic about going and getting it and bringing it back. Now, you remember the Ark of the Covenant was uh, interesting. It was a box. That's what the word ark means. When you talk about Noah's Ark, by the way, exactly, that's what Noah's Ark was. It was a box. Sometimes you see these sketches of, of the ark, you know, like a big ship, like you know from, from the later centuries. But that's all it was was just a box. And the Ark of the Covenant was a box as well. It was about four feet long and about two and a half feet tall and wide, overlaid with gold, had rings along the side, two on each side, so that it could be carried by poles by the Levites as they transported it from place to place. It had the cherubim, those sculpted angels, overlaid with gold and their wings pointing toward the center This was the symbol of the presence of God in Israel. It was in the tabernacle, and it was taken from the tabernacle then when they came into the Promised Land and and placed in Shiloh, which was a place of worship. On one occasion, you remember, they took it out to battle, the Philistines, they were thinking if they had the Ark of the Covenant out in front of them that they would surely win. But of course, they didn't at that occasion. The Philistines captured the Ark, took it back to their home territory, if you remember those chapters in 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6, and the terrible things that happened, they, they had tumors and they had problems, and they said, we don't want this ark anymore, so they sent it back on, on carts, and they, they got rid of it, and once it came back into Israel's possession, it came to this place, the house of Abinadab, and that's where it stayed for all of those years. David said, no, it it has to come back into the place of of centrality. So he had this desire, and we read in the text, he took 30,000 of his men, and he prepared a new cart so that it could be transferred from the house of Abinadab and brought back into into Jerusalem, about an eight-mile trip. And he was saying, this is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I'm so excited about this. This is this is going to be one of the best things that happened in a long time, and so you see that uh, there they were. It was like a parade, and uh, Ohio—not the state of Ohio, but Ohio—and uh, Uzzah, another of uh, Abinadab's sons, were marching along on either side of this uh, of this ark, and David was right there in the middle of it all. He was so enthusiastic. Notice in verse five what it says. It says, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating with, before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. They were just having a great time with this parade almost, you'd call it, from the, the house of Abinadab back to Jerusalem. And then something very unexpected and tragic happened. It says in verse 6, And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. Wow. You ever had something like that just come upon you so suddenly? Just like you hit a brick wall. Things that you were so excited about all of a sudden something unexpected happened and and everything turns. You can almost imagine the setting there. After all the celebration, all the songs, all the rejoicing, and then this happened. Uzzah touches the ark. He falls over stone-cold dead, stone-cold dead, and everybody just standing there with their mouths open. What just went on? Oh, this is tragic. And so everything came to a screeching halt. All of the joy and all of the enthusiasm somehow just ended. It was dead silent, as you might say. Then it says in verse 8, if you see that text, and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, And that place is called Perazuzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How could the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, Three months. And the Lord blessed him and all of his household. Think about David for a moment. He was the one that had the the great idea to do all of this. He was the one who was the most enthusiastic about having this in mind. This was his big goal. This was the major project that he was working on, and he had everything set up, ready to go. And then this tragic thing happened that brought it all to a standstill. And as we saw in that text, it said David was afraid of the Lord that day. He was not willing to take the ark. And so he didn't do it. He went back to the city of Jerusalem. David was angry. And you ever think about who he might have been angry at? (laughs) When you have something happen in your your life and your situation, who do you get mad at? (laughs) Well, he probably was mad at the oxen, for one thing. Those oxen. You know, we talk about being clumsy as an ox. This is an example of that. They stumbled. He was probably saying, those stupid animals, why, why weren't they watching where they were going? How about those ox drivers? Why weren't they watching? Animals, you know, can, can kind of get your... Upset if you trip over them, or you have others that you know bother you. Raccoons that get in your garbage, you get you get angry with them. Then David was probably angry at the oxen, but not only that, he was he was angry at Uzzah. Uzzah, you know who who had been in in uh, living with the ark all this time in his father's house. Uh, he certainly knew that you wouldn't touch the ark. You you don't trifle with this this special uh, artifact that was symbolic of the presence of God. You remember years before when men of Beth Shemeth uh, looked into the ark or they looked at the ark and 70 of them died all of a sudden because of God's anger that was kindled against them. You, you just don't trifle with it. But David must have been angry with Uzzah and said, didn't he know after all this time, you just don't touch the ark Maybe he was just angry with himself. You know, what was I thinking? How could I ever imagine that this would have come, to come together the way that I thought it would be? You know, I, I should have known better that I shouldn't have planned something like this. I should have expected something could go wrong. And look what happened. This man is dead, all because of me. But you know, I think probably even more than any of these things, David was probably angry at God. People get angry at God. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. Maybe you've been one of them in the past. God, why would you let something like that happen? Why, why would you be so, so strict and so cruel to actually uh, kill somebody who was trying to do a good thing? After all, he was, just, he was just trying to steady that arc. He wasn't trying to disturb anything. He was trying to make things better. God, why did you have to do that? Couldn't you just have zapped him a little bit, you know? Give him a warning rather than kill him? Well, David was probably very angry at God as well as at others. So this anger and this fear that he talks about, he was afraid to take it into Jerusalem. Anger and fear were brewing in David's heart. And when he left that scene, he went back to the city of Jerusalem, and over three months' time was probably brooding over all that had taken place. Other people may have kind of put it out of their mind, but I'm sure David couldn't forget about the fact of what happened on that day when his enthusiasm came crashing down. But in verse 12, something uh, very interesting happens. Look at those words. Verse 12, it says, it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when the when the ark or when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone 6 steps, they sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal Then it says, David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. What was it that caused David to change his mind? What was it that allowed him to rethink this whole thing of not bringing the ark into the the city because of what had happened? in this very tragic situation? What changed his mind? What helped him to recapture his enthusiasm for something that he had planned to do, but then he lost all interest in it for a period of three months? Well, it's found right there in verse 12. When it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of obed and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. In other words, they said, David, have you heard? The ark of God who's been in the house of Obed-Edom where you left it after that that very fateful day, well, things have been going well for him. His crops are better. His family is is healthier and and better off than they've ever been before. God is blessing Obed-Edom because the ark of the Lord is there. (laughs) And David heard that. And what do you think he felt in his heart? I think he felt, I want to get in on that. I want to, I want to experience God's blessing. I, I should rethink this, I should I should reapproach it now because Obed-Edom, instead of being uh, cursed and, and, and having things go worse for him in his life, his life is going so much better because of the presence of God in his life. And David said, I don't, want to, I don't want to be out of that circle. I don't want to miss out on the blessing of God. And so he went back. This time he went back to do it right. And by the way, you know that the ark was designed with those rings on the side to be carried by poles so that the Levites, when they were in the, in the Old Testament tabernacle time and, and other times from that time forward when they marched around the city of Jericho as an example with the ark, it was carried by these poles, not put on a cart, not, not so that you would have a firsthand uh, uh, contact with it, but so that you could handle it the right way. And David said, yeah, I think we should have done that perhaps from the very beginning. So they went back and did it that way. And you notice that they were very careful to be respectful and, and uh, mindful of the Lord's presence. They went six steps and sacrificed a fatted animal, and they were careful to give God his due worship and reverence. So David went back and recaptured his enthusiasm for this project and began to bring it back into the city. And don't you love these words in verse 14 when it says, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might. (laughs) Can you picture it? Here's King David, you know, the the king who usually had the crown and the robes and all this, and he's wearing just an ephod, which is kind of like a loincloth, I guess you'd say, and he's dancing for all all that he's worth. He's so energized, he's so enthusiastic, because he's able to see the ark of God come into the city. David had recaptured his enthusiasm. What about you have you gone through a time in your life where you have lost your energy your drive your passion for something maybe you've been like david and you said this is a goal of my heart a desire of my heart i want to do this i think god would be in it i think it would be a benefit to me and my family and i just feel like it's the right thing to do and and i just want to pour my energy into it and when you do something happens Something goes wrong. You lose out. There's a turn of events that just takes all your wind out of your sails. It pours water on the fire of your enthusiasm, and you think, I'm not doing this anymore. I've known a lot of Christians that fit that description. People who start out in life with energy and enthusiasm, and they they come up against a a problem, and it it just floors them, and they say, no, I'm not doing this anymore criticism, problems that, that uh, plague your, your, uh, your life and you think, no, that, that's not it. You know, you're not going to go back and do it again. Like they say, once burned, shame on you, twice burned, shame on me. <laughs> you know, you go back and try something again. No. You've heard the saying, if, you don't, if at first you don't succeed, what's the usual response? Yeah, some people, if at first... If you don't succeed, then forget it. I'm not not doing that anymore. There are a lot of people who've gone through those experiences. You may have gone through it. I've gone through it. Where your enthusiasm just sort of comes crashing down on you. And you think, God, why would you allow these things to happen? Don't you know I was trying to do something good? Don't you know that this was a, a desire that really was worthwhile? Was worthwhile in ministry, it's worthwhile for my family, it's, it's worthwhile for for other people. Lord, why would you allow something bad like this to happen? We get angry. We get fearful. We get angry at God and angry at people, angry at ourselves, the circumstances. We get fearful that perhaps. Nothing will ever happen for, for good from this point forward. That's it, you know. I'm not going to really be satisfied with anything in the future. And we're afraid. We're afraid sometimes of God. Some people get afraid of God, that God is just there to punish them and to squash them like a bug. And that God delights to do things like that. Pull the rug out from under you when you're trying to do something that you're excited about. Well, you know, David might have felt that way at that point when he left and went back to Jerusalem. But he recaptured his enthusiasm, and the very reason is that climactic report that came to his heart, that God was blessing the house of Obed-Edom. You know, what we need to capture sometimes in our thinking is a proper understanding of God and what he is like. We read about it, didn't we, earlier in the service, 1 John chapter four. What does it say about God? God is love. God's desire, God's heart for people is not to judge them, not to pull the rug out from under them, not to see that they are miserable. God's desire for people is to bless them. That's God's heart. That's what God is like. Sometimes we get the picture that God is so quick to judge. We read in Psalm 103 today. He is slow to anger and of great mercy. Yes, God does get angry at sin. He he is just in doing that. The wrath of God is poured out against unrighteousness. Yes, because God is a God of righteousness and judges us. But remember that the heart of God and his disposition is to bless He wants to bless. Have you ever discovered that truly in your heart? God loves you. God wants to bless you. He wants your desires to be fulfilled in life. The psalmist said about the desires of the Lord that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. God wants to do that. Now, you know, you may have come to a point in your life where you just said, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going there anymore. I've been hurt. I've been disappointed. And so that I'm, not, I'm not even going there. And some people have had that experience in church. They've gotten hurt. Sometimes they've come with expectations, and those expectations weren't met. They come desiring certain things and then those things kind of turn in and they find that sometimes criticism and and, uh, bitterness on the part of people just really hurts them. And there have been a lot of people that have been hurt in churches by other Christians, sometimes well-meaning, sometimes not so well-meaning. But what's God's intention? What is God up to? Well, it says right here that God's disposition is to bless. And when David heard about that, he was able to let his desire be overcome, uh, overcome the fear and the anger that he had. And I think that's often true with us as well. When your desire for God's blessing is greater than your fear or your disappointment or your anger, then you're ready to come back and let God help you recapture your enthusiasm again. Maybe I'm talking to somebody in your church experience. And you've said, no, I'm, I'm not serving anymore because I've been hurt too many times. I used to get excited about serving the Lord, but, you know, I, I just don't want to go there anymore. It can be too painful. So I'm just going to sit and not be a part of things because I've been hurt too many times. Well, my friends, let me tell you today, King David will assure you, God's wanting to bless you. God's wanting to use you. And he will, if you will just surrender your hurt, your anger, your fears, your disappointments, and say, God, I know that your disposition is to bless me. And instead of my saying, I'm not going there anymore, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to seek you for your blessing for the future. And I, I assure you, my friends, if you will take that step back like David did and come back and re reapproach the things that you thought once you wanted to do but then put aside, God's blessing can flood into your life as never before. If you've kind of considered Christianity and, and you've thought about trusting the Lord as your Savior but things came up and, and uh, things didn't go the way you thought they were going to go and, and you figure, well, this is not for me anymore. I tell you, you know, what you need to do is to come back and see that God's love for you has never changed. His blessing is always there for you if you will come to Him and seek it. Maybe you need to understand once again, you need to trust in the loving heart of God to receive you if you'll come and Believe in him. How can you recapture your enthusiasm? Well, when you want the blessing of God and his presence more than you want to hold on to your anger and your fear, then you're ready to recapture your enthusiasm. And I trust that if God is speaking to you today along those lines, that you say, God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to experience your blessing in my life. I want it. I want, to, I want to have it fully in my life now. And so I'm going to come and trust you again to fill me up and to lead me forward. You know, the rest of that chapter, we don't have time for it, We're, Our time is gone, but the rest of that chapter talked about Michael, David's wife, as he came into the city and he's, he's dancing, as, as it said, before the Lord and is celebrating, and Michael criticizes him and says, you know, you made a shameful display of yourself, you're just wearing this loincloth, you look like one of these guys that just exposes himself, these, these shameful fellows. And David, when he said uh, to, uh, to Michael at the end of this chapter, it was before the Lord, verse 21 he said, it was before the Lord who chose me and above your father and appointed me to be prince of Israel, and I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will make myself even more contemptible than this and be abased, abased in your eyes. In other words, David is saying, it doesn't matter if you're critical of me. It doesn't matter what you say because I found that place of recapturing my heart for the blessing of God. And criticism is, is not going to affect me. And that'll happen in your life, you know, if you make that choice, you make that determination. Sometimes after being torn down by criticism before, you can be strengthened against it if your resolve is to do God's will. God wants to bless you. Let him do that today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Father, for this wonderful example of David's experience. We know that it is mirrored so many times in the lives of people.